0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to the confluence cast presented by columbus underground we are a weekly columbus centric podcast focusing on the civics lifestyle entertainment and people of our city i'm your host tim fulton this week I had a virtual conversation with cartoonist and organizer of Cartoon Crossroads Columbus, Jeff Smith, on the occasion of the upcoming Showcase of Cartoon Art. We discussed the origins of his creation, Bone, the importance of getting buy-in to those that you're accountable to, the value of having a plan, and the virtue of being in the right place in the right time, what it was like to have Bone picked up by Netflix, and what the virtual cartoon crossroads columbus will look like this year you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com also the confluence cast is on patreon find out how to support this podcast on our website theconfluencecast.com or at patreon.com/confluence the confluence cast is sponsored this week by art makes columbus columbus makes art Featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with cartoonist, Columbus resident and organizer of Cartoon Crossroads, Jeff Smith. Jeff, how are you? I'm good, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You and I spoke roughly three years ago, also on the occasion of Cartoon Crossroads. Went a lot through your background and that you grew up in Columbus. Uh, That episode is available. I'll link to it in the show notes. But want to get a little bit more into today, your artistic process, what's going on with you, given the sort of state of affairs of the world right now, and also about Cartoon Crossroads. So I guess, first of all, how are you doing? Are you sequestering? What's what's going on?
1: Uh, Vijay and I are holding up. Uh, we've, well, as cartoonists, as a cartoonist, um, I shelter in place as a matter of course, anyway. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, you, it's a very solitary, gig. When you're working, you're just, I mean, I might have music, maybe the radio, not a whole lot more than that. Um, so it hasn't really changed my life that much. Um, we, Vijay and I have, uh, you know, we are a publishing company for for Bone and my other comic projects. It's called Cartoon Books. And we have two full-time employees, Kathleen glosson and Tom Gott. Uh, and they have been sheltering in place, or we've been you know not coming into the office mm-hmm. uh, but it, it has not it's been pretty good because uh we've all worked together for over 20 years mm-hmm. and we all know our jobs and so we've been able to work uh remotely without a problem so yeah i mean i'm just like everybody else i'm i miss going out to dinner i miss hanging out with my friends although again like most people we're starting to like have small groups of friends we can go to their house and go we stay outside Try to stay apart, uh, that kind of stuff.
0: I'm happy in there. How about you? Good. I'm doing okay. I'm trying to focus on myself and my health a little bit more. I'm thankful, actually. I have a four, almost five year old, like thankful for that sort of extra time that we get. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, daddy daughter time is solid. That's Uh, good. (laughs) It's good. It's really good. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you very much. For those that don't know, grew up in Worthington went to Ohio State is that correct yeah went to Ohio State you're most famous for creating bone yeah. um the the character for which I believe uh you came up with when you were five started <laughs> uh uh started drawing bone when you were nine uh and so it actually sort of became a comic when you were I think 30 is that right
1: yeah I drew it when I was I went to uh, OSU in the early 80s and I did okay. it I did bone. Well, it was called Thorn, but it was it was basically a proto bone strip every day for uh, four years, Monday through Friday. Uh, and as during that period, that process, uh, I started to really understand the characters and kind of see the landscape of the story. There was no story in the comic strip. It was just these three bones come from Boneville, which is sort of like Duckburg, you know. With okay. Spoon. Yeah. Uh, and, they, and they end up in a fairy tale where there's princesses and dragons and monsters. And so the, 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 the trick or the, the, the hook was just that we, the reader, identified with the cartoon characters and not the humans.
0: <clears throat> okay. So
1: a lot of fish out of water jokes. In between college and when I finally did the comic book, I spent, I don't know, maybe five or six years just thinking about it and then and in that same period i discovered comic book stores I, these monkeys retreat which is still mm-hmm. around but uh it's not quite it's not quite the same old place it was back in the back in the 80s okay. um, rosie is run by rosie uh yeah so i just figured I, I just decided i i think i know what the story is going to be now and i'm going to try it as a as an underground independent comic and
0: that's that's how that started yeah And I was 31
1: 31- and the
0: in-between you were doing animation, is that right? In-between
1: I got together with a couple of buddies of mine from OSU and we started it. We were all animation, like we were just into it and we would mm-hmm. do the little animated things just for fun as a hobby, just to see how things moved, Right? It's, it's very, it's very exciting when you work out a sequence, even if it's as simple as somebody just walking, uh, but you can do have somebody do something and show an expression. And then you know it's all tense. How's it gonna look? You know, you gotta, you gotta take one picture at a time with a camera, and then then you run it, and the first time you see it, it was usually called a pencil test. Oh my gosh, damn, it's so exciting to see your drawing move. Um, yeah, we formed a little company and we did PSAs and advertising and eventually did uh, some Hollywood films, just little pieces of somebody else's film, like okay. baby kids. We did baby's kids which was a great movie. Uh, I am familiar. I, w- I recently rewatched it and I could not remember any particular scene that I drew, I couldn't remember. But, our, but Character Builders, which was the name of our company, we, if you're familiar with the movie, it's the section where they go to the amusement park. And they're kind oh, of- okay. They're chased around by his ex-wife and her friend. We did, we did a lot of that, uh,
0: we did. Okay, and you sold that company uh, I told with my
1: partners. Uh, I, I in like 1992. I think I okay. did like four f- four issues of Bone. It was really I wanted to dedicate myself to it. So I sold uh, car- character builders uh, to my two partners, and they went on for years. I don't. I, they went out of business. I think they just stopped doing it. And
0: okay. Changed.
1: But uh, they went on for years doing Disney sequels and stuff like Little Mermaid two and uh 101 Dalmatians 3 it's that, like
0: 150 yeah. <laughs> Dalmatians right it's the straight to video it was but straight to in, video still but, in the uh, puffy really, nice box right but my partners were actually doing it they were actually the directors and doing the storyboards and
1: directing you know these these hollywood stars voices it was pretty cool
0: and so was your was you is the sequence there of events as clean as it sounds that you were like Okay, I'm kind of done with this, and I want to go and I want to do bone full time.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay. I mean, everybody they knew that's what I wanted to do because I, I I wanted to do bone, maybe animated, do like a short or something. We could just never heard enough people because we didn't have any money, so we we'd have to talk people into doing it for almost just out of love. And we could, we just were never able to quite get anything together for that. So when I discovered comic books, and they knew, they saw, I mean, I showed them what I was doing. They were digging it. And they knew I was I was going to go. So I think I did it. I stayed at Character Builders for, like I said, I think six or seven months. And then, um, and then I said, hey, I'm ready to jump. And we worked out a deal and
0: sold it. We right. all, stayed, all stayed friends. And so what was that? I, I know that you do a whole lot of self-publishing now, but at that time, because I'm so I'm interested in two sides of it. Right. I'm interested. In, I want to get into sort of like, how do you craft a narrative? Not necessarily around storyboard. It's OK if storyboard is the tool for that. But how do you craft the narrative and come up with that as a writer? Mm-hmm. But but staying where we're at, and I'm I'm probably going to continue jumping around a lot.
1: That's how most of my podcasts go.
0: Good. Good.
1: <laughs> I think it's my fault. Probably more my fault than yours.
0: <laughs> How did you identify? Okay, I think I can make money off of this, or at least I can make enough to sustain.
1: Well, I'm, not only did I tell my partners what I was up to, I had to talk to my real partner, Vijaya, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, my wife, and you know, make sure she was okay with that. And she had a lot of questions. You know, you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> you you know, you're gonna sell your. Pretty successful uh, animation studio and do an underground comic book. <laughs> right. The good thing about that was, um, she, of course, you know, we'd been married for um, how long we've we been married at that point? Probably 10 years. And so, right. and so she was very familiar with bone and my comics and stuff like that and i I, we were together in at osu so she even read him when i was doing the comic
0: strip then okay so
1: she knew so she she knew this was something i really believed in and wanted to do and she believed that i had i could pull it off but she insisted that i think it through that i sit down and write a business plan like a five-year business plan um and she said it's gotta be good enough for us to take to a bank and get a loan. And uh back then we was this was a uh, you know nineteen eighty nine,
0: I think. Okay.
1: And there was no internet. The so I had to go to the library <laughs> and get books out on how to write a business plan. And I followed yeah. it. Uh and you know, it told me to find examples of similar things and of course Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a self-published black and white book, so yeah. I would go yeah. to a banker and say, "Well, I'm just doing what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are doing," and he's like,
0: "Really? That sounds good," because <laughs> the turtles were huge. Right. Um, well, but and I know a little bit about that backstory. They kind of won the lottery, yeah. Is what, and so did the bank sort of like say, like, "Oh, well, if these guys won the lottery, then Jeff Smith can win the lottery." Yeah. No, I mean it wasn't
1: quite that
0: clean that easy stuff.
1: but were like but that definitely once i started talking about that then they were listening and okay. then they had a plan and in 1989 graphic novels existed but if you recall there was only like three of them
0: okay pretty much
1: there was uh dark knight returns Watchmen, and mouse and of course well, and that was true, that them. was
0: almost true through the mid 90s right yeah. like at least those were the big ones yeah yeah well those were the ones
1: and others would come and go but they weren't kept in print um mm-hmm. those three were so popular that they stayed in print but nobody else uh a lot of people tried to do it like marvel and dc tried to copy it but they would just take a bunch of you know x-men books in a paperback and you know they weren't really selling they definitely didn't sell outside of comics that's for sure right so uh we, so in our business plan, we said, Well, this is going to be a big story. We knew we had a plan. We planned for this huge, something like as long as The Lord of the Rings or The Iliad of the Odyssey. I told Vijay the ending. She said, That's a good story. And so we figured, Well, since comics are sold like magazines, basically, like they're up for a month or two months, and then the next issue comes, you take them off the shelf and you put them into a long box to sell them to collectors. Right. Well, we wanted people to be able to read the first issue so they could get into the story and always keep up. So we were thinking a graphic novel would be, a collection would be a good way to do it. And I was thinking more like of a Pogo collection or uh, Calvin Hobbes collection or something like that. Okay. So we actually used, we, in the business plan, we actually put the word graphic novels in
0: quotes for the bank. Okay. Oh, would, because you knew that you you knew your audience, right?
1: Right. Yeah. And well, and, and graphic novels were not a thing. They were just were not really a thing. So anyway, that so, was, so I had to, so I knew how much money I needed. I knew how long there was a you know like a, a you know how, how long will it be before you get the money? You give the book to the distributors. You figure out when they pay you and all this stuff. You had to all, all figure it all out. So, right. Um, that's yes. Yeah, so to answer your question in a long way. Uh, yeah, I had a plan out. I knew I kind of had a plan for what, what was acceptable and what was a minimal amount we had to sell and all that stuff.
0: Right. Well, and what I want to latch onto if I heard you right is part of your, it's almost like your marketing plan was also a distribution strategy or also it was like your marketing had a little bit of revenue attached to it as well. Cause you were like, I want to do a comic book first while I'm working, is that right? And then yes. like, while, while you're working on the book so that you sort of build a fan base, but you're also making a little bit of money on the side, not even on the side, you're making some money from that comic as well.
1: Yeah. And that was an unusual strategy. There were not that many people uh, doing it. Dave Sim was doing it with his Cerebus. He was okay. He was doing the comics and then collecting them in these big giant phone book uh, is what everybody called them. Um, Right around the same time I started collecting, uh, Neil Neil Gaiman was starting to collect yeah. um, the Sandman books. Uh, it was a little bit different because he was having to convince DC to do it. And DC originally would only like cherry pick like certain story arcs because they thought that would sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Neil really wanted and eventually got, you know, the whole thing in uh, graphic novels. So it was, that was, that was that moment that, early 90s moment when a bunch of us wanted to really push the medium into um, graphic novels A, because they were longer, give you a little more story room. You you could actually tell a story in a book. Uh, But B, because then you could keep the book in print. Because you could try to sell it like a book and it was very different than the the distribution system that was set up in the comic book direct market. Yeah,
0: because you're not you don't you don't reprint a comic book you don't reprint yeah. a comic
1: book and i reprint was reprinting my comic books because i was trying to keep them in print because they, when they were getting popular i was like people and i thought as long as i just changed the color of the logo that nobody would care because oh boy was i wrong Boy, people are were really were pissed about that
0: Like, I, get over it, I
1: mean it ended up it settled down and the bone number one with the red logo the first printing that's the one that's worth money you could probably get a seventh or eighth printing in a quarter box
0: (laughs) so it's it's the it was the collectors that were pissed off is what you're saying
1: yeah well retailers also
0: because i okay uh
1: that and that got worse when i printed the first bone collection because bone number one the red logo was worth like 300 dollars at that time in like 1993 or four okay and all of a sudden Vijay and I released it, you know, the first six issues for like nine bucks or whatever it was. Right. And every, the retailers thought I was trying to put them out of business or cheat them out of some money or something. And wizard uh, was a, you know, do you remember wizard magazine?
0: I, yes. Yeah. 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 It was, well, it was, it was,
1: it ruled the roost for uh, two couple of decades anyway. And uh, they had their, half their magazine was a, uh, price guide and they would like, uh, and they were really big on image and they were always like kind of like leading the market a little bit, you know, like going, oh yeah, you know, this new book from Todd McFarland. Well, they
0: were, they were kingmakers to an extent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And they were slick and they had full color pictures. Most of the rags or the, the industry journals. We're all black and white, you know, just kind of newspapers or whatever. They weren't that.
0: Right. These were
1: slick, and they'd say, "Here's the top ten artists, top ten writers," and they'd have pictures of them, and they treated them like they were like NBA stars. So of course we loved it. <laughs> right. But uh, but they they dropped the price of Bone from three hundred dollars to like a hundred or to like seventy five dollars or something. I don't remember. So okay. a huge drop. And I called them. I said, "What the hell? What happened?" They said, "Well, you're." Um, you know you put out the graphic novel and never everybody could read that story for fractions so it just lost uh-huh. its- and i said no it didn't i said you're just making that up because i'm i'm messing with your
0: uh i'm not doing it the traditional way yeah right? and
1: i'm messing with your values you know whatever your. you know this is this is really the way you make your money is yeah um, exciting everybody about the. Uh, the and i don't
0: I, I don't think there's a concise way to explore this, but what's super interesting to me is it's, 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 a, it's so many different things at that point, right? It's a commodity that someone's putting a price on. It's a piece of media that people want to be able to consume. And so they have to pay that price. And it's, a, and it's a commodity in that people are literally trading it for value without consuming it as well. Right. Yeah, um, I Yeah. Truly, yeah. I, I, I I put in my notes of like, and we talked about it three years ago, please listen to the last podcast, about, um, uh, first of all, the Cartoon Research Library at Ohio State, your exhibit at the Wexner Center. um, And it it really is, there is a very easy comparison to um, uh, fine or high art. But it is almost by definition, because it's in people's hands, low art.
1: Uh, well, you know? comics have always been considered low art. I mean, they were I mean, the, the, some of my greatest heroes would never tell a, someone at a cocktail party that they drove comic books. You know, right. I mean, uh, I, I was lucky enough to get to meet, you know, that that first generation. I met uh, uh, Joe Kubert, and uh, I met Jack Kirby. I didn't really get to spend much time with him. He died. Very shortly after I met him, uh, I met Stan Lee. Uh, who else? Who had I really talked to? Will Eisner, someone I actually formed a huge bond with. And of all that group that I just mentioned, Will Eisner was the only one who, even at the time, thought it was art. He thought there okay. was you could do stuff with that. And and all the other ones were doing stuff with it. Al Williamson's another one of those guys that I met, but they were just they were just doing it good because they they cared. But mm. it was so looked down upon at that time. Right? It's hard to even re- reali- think about that now, you know.
0: The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by Art Makes Columbus. Columbus makes art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists. Stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city so up to the point when you decided to put out that first book and you were doing other activities in order to support that market it have a splash when it was done that one was not self-published right Mm, yeah it was it was self-published
1: yeah, every, everything I did, including, including Vijay and I published a little collection of the OSU Lantern comics, too, and that was self-published as well.
0: Okay. So, um,
1: we, weren't, so we weren't afraid of that. But, yeah, so I, right up to that point, I, well, I had the six issues. And at that time, there were, I think Fanographics was reprinting something god I don't remember what it was though don't we don't have to um, get totally but they were but they were just they were just saying this is a complete run volume one so I didn't name it like out from boneville yet at that point I just called it collection one or the complete bone adventures collection one mm-hmm. and um uh, and it, it I I don't know why it worked but it it I, my timing was very lucky it was the first year of bone the sales were not very good, but it did get noticed. And I started to get some reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second year, uh, it started to pick up uh, like famous readers, uh, like like Neil Gaiman, uh, okay. and made some, and um, just said, somebody asked him in an interview, what do you reading?" Because he
0: gets interviewed, hey, what are you reading? Exactly. Right. Exactly.
1: Right. So, and I was,
0: I, I was very
1: opportunistic. I would like call him and say, can I, quote you on that and there he'd be like of course um so i i was getting known right as and bone was becoming very popular it was suddenly the orders were starting to go up significantly about a year and a half in right and that's when i was getting ready to put the first year's worth of books into a collection and that's not
0: direct consumer right obviously like you're dealing with a distributor or you're dealing with individual that are saying there were
1: in the direct comic book direct market now there's one distributor diamond comics but in 1991 there were like 17. Okay. diamond was Diamond was always the biggest they were always the biggest but they had a the second place was a something called capital city distributors distribution and they were very close behind and then there was a i don't know there was a few other ones heroes world friendly Fly, friendly franks comics hawaii there was there was there was Seventeen of them, so okay. uh, and there weren't that many people like me trying to get in, um but so I wasn't that worried. If you get turned down by any of them, right? There's all these other ones that can take you. uh So yeah, so and the way that worked, if we, I don't know if this is too inside baseball, but no, you're all right. The way it worked is um, you had to solicit in a catalog that would come out three months before the comic book. Okay. So, um, yeah. So if if you had a comic book to come out in December, you had to have something in the, what is that, October? Yeah. October issue. And that gave the retailers three months to get their orders in and make plans. And uh, generally, though, I was working on, I wasn't really working on that book yet. I was like working on the previous book. Uh, But I would have a vague idea of what the comic book cover was going to be, what the story was.
0: So you're literally just pitching it.
1: Uh, yeah without you a cover you have to have a yeah. cover and look and and you have to look real yeah and and at, at that point i would you know i had been doing and you know i had done maybe 10 or 11 issues and the retailers that were on board trusted me to come out on time and to do it and to deliver a comic that was their customers wanted to buy yeah so, you'd
0: build I, built that relationship yeah, it was just
1: like, and the timing just like was this whirlwind of perfection it was a perfect storm the the comic just as people were really hearing about it and the sales were starting to go up on the issues I showed up in San Diego with my first complete bone adventures collection and it went it went nuts Tim I mean it was I had one assistant who I'd hired from a local Oakland comic book store and he went down to San, to San Diego with me and we we were swamped we we were swamped there were, literally you could not see past the crowd around our booth, and people were with wads of money. were reaching over each other's shoulders, and there's just fistfuls of dollar coming at us, like a like in a Uncle Scrooge comic, but it was real. Right. Uh, so awesome. my, uh, my my poor partner Garrett, he was just grabbing grabbing money as fast as he could, handing me a book and telling me the name, and it was crazy.
0: When you first when you first were drawing it, you were doing the comic strip for the Lantern, and you you had said you're basically doing. Fish, you know, three-panel fish out of water jokes, right? right? And then you, when you went back to Bone, you did the the comic books, which obviously have to have a little bit, sorry, much longer than a little, but a longer narrative arc, right? Mm. Um, and then you did not just collections, but like an actual, I'll call it a tome, uh, in in terms of like a a really long narrative arc. Right. Talk a little bit about what that process is like and sort of I don't know I guess what I'm looking for is analogies of like imagine sprinting and then running a marathon or like <laughs> how, how do you how do you plan for that and what background did you have in order to, to do that you know well the back
1: well I well first of all I always thought of myself as an artist okay a- uh, but my heroes were Charles Schultz and Walt Kelly and Carl Barks, and they all wrote and drew their own comics. So I figured that's what I have to do too. Mm-hmm. So um, I was able to, you know, and I, and I learned, I spent four years at OSU, right? So I, I had that practice of uh, learning how to, how to time a joke and make it work because I had a, quite a few flops uh, at first, but I had enough you know, hits, I mean, you know, meaning people laughed and wrote to me, or, or maybe even just somebody in a class said, man, I saw that comic. Today's right. comic was really funny. So I learned, I had four years to not only learn that act, that craft of writing a joke and pulling off the timing and all that, uh, which I'd already learned in many ways, just from reading Pogo, mm-hmm. dunesbury you know, um, but I perfected it. But I also, did a lot of comics. I did a lot of comics in four years. And things came up that I wanted to keep. Uh, the hooded one was in there. The hooded one was Grandma Ben's twin sister. That was in the comic strip in The Lantern. Um, Rock Jaw, the mountain lion, he wasn't quite as big. He was still big, but he wasn't as gigantic as he was in the comic strip. But these, but I had these, saw so I had these like little story beats of these characters and I was like, uh, there's got to be a way to arrange all this with a story. And I worked. I just kind of thought about the story for years. Um, and that's kind of what it was. So I did decide I need to I need to write the story, or at least have an outline of the story before I even draw the first comic. Okay. And that I did. I had uh, I didn't know how many books it would be. I didn't know how many pages it was going to be. I didn't really know exactly how many years it would be. I figured it was going to be over a decade.
0: Okay. Um,
1: And But I had, in my memory now, I'm thinking there were about five what I would call tent poles uh, from the beginning of the story where I wanted them to start out in the desert. They'd already been run out of town just because I loved Indiana Jones. And that opening where it just starts... Right, and you don't. You're just like
0: you're in the adventure. Uh, you don't know what he's running from, but he's running. Right, I know. Right, and
1: I've, I've, and I've learned later. There's a name for that. I don't think it's Mizen Scene, but it's, it might be. Uh, and that's and the Odyssey is like that. I mean, Odysseus left Troy ten years ago, and he's been trapped with Circe on her island for, for over ten years. So we, this idea of starting it, like I said, I didn't learn about that until later, but I knew Indiana Jones did it. So I that was really fun. So I knew it. That was Temple One. Temple at the end. You know, I knew what it was. I knew how they how it ended, and you know, pretty much, you know that they were going to go back home to Boneville. And then the I knew that the rock jaw was going to be the middle. Okay. And then I think I had like one more, at least one or two more in there that I was going to hit. Like in the in the first half, there was a I had a temple that only said okay they're lost in the valley right uh and at first they're looking the three bones are looking for each other well eventually they all find each other and get back together well there had something had to happen to make them stay or else i wouldn't have a story so that was a tentpole. phony bone scams the villagers and they get in trouble and they have to stay and so there are temples like that and then i started just then i just started writing and i drew the first book and, and that that was a miniature version of that where you go, well, here's how much I want to have happen in this issue, chap, which is chapter one. Although shh, Vijay and I are not telling anybody that that's chapter one. We're just this is just a Donald Duck comic, and it's right. Yeah, there, it's funny, and you know, there's going to be little cliffhangers, and, and and then we'll slowly we'll we'll turn it around.
0: Yeah, it's what's funny to me is it feels similar to the way that you talked about the um, the business plan that you were like I know I need these anchors to to make all of this work um and it just it it feels pretty similar yeah. um so you've you had success with that you obviously took advantage of it to an ex- not to an extent you then took advantage of that success in order to sort of uh, let that snowball roll down the hill um fast forward to uh I think 2018 when news broke that Netflix was picking up Bone into an animated series um, that, that is, has yet to come out at this point. Um, can you talk about sort of what that um, felt like, what that was like? And I'm also interested from an uh, a, an artist perspective. It's almost like you're giving up, what's funny to me is you have a background in animation, right? So you know how to, at least communicate it but you are i imagine giving up some control
1: yeah yeah well it's a it's a collaborative medium um, okay. it's it, it takes a lot of people uh and and i'm you know we're things have changed since i was doing animation uh the, this bone at this bone series will be 2d mm-hmm. but 2d in my day was for television was junk Um, these guys are telling me it's not, we're not, they're like, stop talking like that. Stop thinking that we're doing limited animation. They're going to do something. I don't know what, um, but let me, let me start at the beginning. Uh, yeah. Well, Bone was at Warner brothers for 10 years. Uh, and it was a very unfun
0: experience. You're talking about the, the, the option for it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Not only
0: the option, but they purchased the, uh, they purchased it. They actually,
1: they actually went for it and it was a, it was, it was not that, it was unpleasant for me because I didn't like the the direction they were going and then it was kind of like a hostile buyout just so they could, they owned it, they owned it and they basically told me to back off.
0: They said, you have your money, we're going to do what we want with this. That's, that's, yes,
1: that's essentially it. And um, and our relationship obviously soured after that. I had to just sit on my hands uh, because there was the only clause, the only hope I had, Tim, was uh, that if they didn't make a movie in ten years, I would get it back. So I had to wait ten years. I mean, they tried. I mean, they kept paying the same guy over and over and over. Uh, after a while, I and the scripts were terrible, and I would I just didn't even read them after a while. But okay. um, nobody else liked them either. I mean, they never made a movie. So finally, in May of two thousand eighteen, I guess, okay, um, the rights reverted back to me. And but Vijay and I were like, let you know, you know, you know, our our entertainment lawyer was like, you got to you've got to get out there and get an agent, and tell people what you know this is that this is coming back and we did actually go back to our agent um who had sold it 10 years earlier um but he had sold the company well there's a more complicated story but I won't go into it the company had been sold to um William Morris which is like one of the yeah. agencies in the world. but we we spoke to them and said you know you your your company handled the original sale do you want to help us when we're dealing with getting it back because it was complicated there's you know, they're not. Because you, you have to
0: go and say, this is mine now. Like, yeah, I would and like and, it there was, and there were liens on it for a lot of stuff. So, okay.
1: It was it was a complicated thing. So, we went back to Alert. And again, I feel like I'm getting really inside baseball. There's no, these, I like. I, I, I mean, stop.
0: <laughs> it, what's interesting to me is like, it's not, it is a piece of property. Yeah. You know? And the yeah. fact that like it even has additional liens on it. Oh, yeah. Other well, people have stakes. We, we
1: I can tell you, we discussed this uh, this clause when we were signing the deal 10 years earlier. And it basically said, you know, you have to pay Warner Bros. back for everything they spent on it if at the end of 10 years they don't make a movie. And we were like,
0: that's pretty harsh. But and like, you don't what? have control over what they spend or what but choices the, they make? But
1: yeah, right? but we, did, we were like, there's no way that would happen. Because they really did want to make the movie. I mean, there wasn't the actual producer that I was working with was not the problem. It was studio executives would come in and get in, get involved and mess things up. And yeah, there were other, all sorts of problems. So anyway, we we eventually got it back, although there was still a lean on it, but it was technically. It it was ours. We just had to couldn't do anything with it until we paid the lien off.
0: Gotcha. And we thought let's
1: not let's just not even do anything. I mean, maybe we'll maybe we'll pursue it or let's just sit on it and not tell not, not tell anybody.
0: Or maybe an opportunity will come along. Yes. Right?
1: Well, word
0: got out immediately and we
1: started getting uh, calls from streaming services and uh, one of them was Netflix and they from the get go talked a different kind of talk than in a nutshell, the real problem I had, not just at Warner Brothers, but at Paramount, Nickelodeon, and Red Wagon, and so we, we've been with like three studios uh-huh. over the years in serious efforts. They all wanted to make a, an hour and a half animated movie out of the whole bone movie. They would do the whole thing in an hour and a half animated movie. It couldn't be done. And we always started by saying, we're going to do three movies, right? Or at least do a third of the story and end it. And if it's good, we'll go. Nobody would do it. Nobody would do it. Uh, they always said they were going to do it. But then then they looked at it and said, no, we're not going to do it. Right. So, the, but the Netflix was like, all of a sudden we're talking about a streaming story and I can do it exactly, I can build it one by one, just like a Donald Duck comic, uh, just the same way the comic strip was. And they want to do it that way. Huh. So to, just to let you and your uh, listeners know where it is right now, it's, it was drastically, I mean, everything just stopped.
0: Yeah. In March.
1: And the original plan was uh, for me to go out to L.A. April 1st. And we were going to, we had been, we'd been talking to a bunch of animators and I was, we were going to go out and have dinner uh, and then maybe spend like a month just really getting down to business
0: well yeah wait we, yeah, nobody got it, to do anything it, it, after mid-march right yeah,
1: yeah it didn't so it wasn't until really july that we even started talking again and we we would communicate every now and then and he'd have uh, the producer there would have an idea but we we're we're now in the process of of hiring uh, showrunners and Great. we're also in the process of and we're doing it by Zoom. We're doing it like we're doing this podcast, right. <laughs> uh,
0: which is not how, the,
1: how we didn't want to do it, but eventually we we're like, we're, well, we're just going to have
0: to. That's how the world is right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, while I was sitting around uh, when we couldn't do anything, I did uh, my contract, said I was supposed to write the script for the first episode. So I did that. I wrote a story. I storyboarded out the first episode. They really liked it. Um, we've picked some people. I'm not going to. I'm not going to squelch Netflix's sure. uh, fun. I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but I'm very excited. Um,
0: these are the voice actors, I assume. No, no, no.
1: The 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 people are going to do the actual shows, the showrunners, and the
0: I am. Oh, okay. I'm,
1: I'm an executive producer on the show, and in TV, that means you're and a creator. So yeah. I am. Right, I am right in the mix, but I've got all these other talented people who love Bone, and. Uh, I, you know, I want to hear, I want them to do, I want to hear their ideas. Yeah. I don't have, I don't, I don't think in terms of like music or things like that, you know. Uh, so it's it's very exciting. And we're doing exactly what we were talking about earlier with the books. We're figuring out, you know, what's the, what are our tent poles? How far do we want to go in each episode? And so we're, we're just beginning. We're just beginning. We have not even talked about voices or anything like that.
0: I love that. I want to give a little bit uh time to cartoon crossroads which is coming up at the beginning of october yeah yeah. um you guys again listen to the previous podcast episode for like here's the idea here's what here's the why but talk about sort of how you guys are pivoting this year you you said i think before we started recording that you guys decided early to that, like, hey, we're probably going to have to do this virtually. Yeah. Uh, talk about sort of what the content will be and what people can expect.
1: Well, we had a we had we had we had more than one setback. I mean, we lost Tom Spurgeon, our executive director. Yeah. Died suddenly um, and unexpectedly in November last year, right after last year's show, mm-hmm. uh, and it it really it it devastated all of us quite a bit um and we did get together with because cartoon crossroads is in some ways is just an umbrella organization um the idea was to uh there were all the all the art institutions in town i'm sure we talked about in the last podcast we're all really like the columbus museum of art and ccad and osu and the Wexner Center. We're all already doing at least one major event a year with a world-class cartoonist, mm-hmm. and I was very impressed by that. And uh, when I started talking with Lucy Caswell, the founding curator of the Billy Ireland Cartoon Library and Museum, she was getting ready to retire and retire the the festival at, that we that o, that OSU had back then. Every three years, there was a festival of cartoon art, which I love, and. She said, well, unless you have an idea to do something. Well, that was my idea was to go around to all the institutions and say, look, you, once a year, you have some
0: bang. You're already budgeting. For You're this. already doing
1: this. Right. What if we all did it on the same weekend and we made Columbus this you know, go to event? Like you had to be there. Uh, and surprisingly, um, they all were pretty agreeable. I was surprised mm-hmm. because. I thought there'd be a little more competition between them, but,
0: uh, and there, there is in some things. Yeah. Oh, there, there is actually, there is quite a bit.
1: (laughs) I I think when it came to cartoons, I think they were excited. Uh, uh, and Tom and I would go around to these meetings and we had, I mean, we've got some, we've got some gravitas between us. Plus we had Lucy. Yeah. Uh, So, and everybody, I think cartoons was, not quite, it was like an. it's like a new thing, you know, it's like, Well,
0: and also I think full disclosure, I used to work at the Wexner center and I oh. think, I think that having you and Tom sort of outside and almost above everybody, not above, but like as outside, an umbrella, yeah. as an umbrella outside everybody else and just say, Hey guys, we sort of want to pull you together. And then not one of them gets to own it or control it makes everybody else feel more comfortable.
1: Well, it worked, is all I can say. (laughs) Uh, And we have, from the first year, we have had some of the most amazing guests. I mean, the very first year, we had Art Spiegelman and Francois Mouli. I mean, we had, um, I can't even remember everybody. We had Doonesbury. We had Kate Beaton and Craig Thompson. We've had Chris Ware. We've had Mike Mignola. It's just unbelievable. So this year... um, well, uh, going back to the story, uh, you know, we had to overcome the loss of our dear friend and the executive director who mm-hmm. was very crucial in, in putting the whole show together. Uh, so the first thing we had to do is get together with all the partner organizations uh, and say, does everybody still want to do this? Because that's how that was how devastated we were. Yeah. But everybody felt like that was ob- yes we absolutely have to continue on uh and the next step was to find um a replacement so we have an intern his name is jersey droads and when he came from michigan where he was running his own comic book show and he he's been pretty great uh i'm he he kind of knows what he's doing but he has this extra bonus thing which i'll tell you about right now so the second big problem was oh, crap, there's a pandemic. And uh-huh. right away, I mean, it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, by by the end of April, we're not going to do anything in this country to stop this. We're just okay. going to just wing this, <laughs> which is horrifying. And I'm, it's a very unfortunate situation we find ourselves in. But we knew yeah. we're not. Well, first we put it off and we're like, we have to either cancel or we could possibly go online. None of us knows anything about going online, uh, and that's a scary thing. We thought, well, what if OSU? Well, let's see what OSU does. If they aren't going to come back, there's we ha- we there's no way we're we just cancel.
0: It. We're just yeah, we're going to cancel. Yeah.
1: Uh, although we 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 hung on to the possibility that we could still do a live show if OSU came back. But like I said, there was a point where it was really obvious that there was no plan. Uh, to get PPE to people, or get mm-hmm. or get masks, or anything, and we're like, okay, we're going to. So we did, did decide pretty early we're going to go online, and this is what Jersey. Ha- he knows how to do that. He's got also. I don't know if he has a podcast. He looks okay. like he looks like he's got a podcast. He looks he's like got you. A,
0: he's got a setup. He, he's got. He's, 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 it's like
1: you. He's got the mic and the earphones. And yeah, I'm talking into my laptop
0: good uh, enough yeah well yeah. only one side has to be all set up <laughs> yeah and and he and so we actually are one of our one of our big
1: guests this year is gene yang who uh just did superman smash the clan and of course he's famous for american-born chinese um and he also just came out with something called dragon hoops which is amazing uh, it's he worked at a high school for a while and just for some reason decided to write a graphic novel about the high school uh, basketball team Huh. It's amazing. It's it's so readable. Um, but anyway, we last night we just did our first. We, we were pre-recording a lot of the interviews and events, but then we're going to do live Q and As afterwards.
0: Okay, there's so a
1: little control over what's happening. Um, it's less hackable, uh, but yeah. still there's some interaction available uh, for viewers that's good so uh, go ahead go ahead
0: no i just i have experience i was doing programming for a conference in alberta that was supposed to be in june and we ended up going virtual and like you're you're speaking my language of like all these debates we have about like should we just cancel how do we still provide any interactivity how do we still show value uh and and actually deliver the content in, in, in a solid way. And it sounds like you guys are going through the same thing in that you sort of, you're, you're, you're baking a cake, you know, yeah. you're like, okay, this has to be here. This has to be here. Right. Uh, but we still need the sprinkles on top too. Yeah. So yeah.
1: And we have to use the exact right amount of flour. Uh-huh. The, yeah. uh, we, well, and we were lucky because we're so close to the end of the year, so we got to see. TCAF, Toronto. We got to see San Diego do a live show. Yeah. Um, and so we got to you know see their people's reactions. Um, I was impressed with San Diego personally, but I there was no question that there was a lot of reaction about people going, oh, there's no interaction, I, I missed that. Yeah, out.
0: I saw some of that, and I, I did, I went to a lot of the education panels they had and certainly bought some stuff from people that were dropping during that week and i was like they did a real good job and then i saw like blog reaction afterwards and they were like well engagement was down it's not as good and i'm like "What what did you want to see guys i well and
1: i and i was a guest at san diego this in comic con this year and uh okay i did they i did uh well i'm also an exhibitor so we usually set up a booth there yeah so um we had a virtual booth basically a link Uh, you know, you you click on it and see these are the products that we have special prices on for the show. And then you click on another link and you would go to our uh, uh, Facebook page. Yeah. And we, for like a month, we were like sending out blasts of Twitter and Instagram and everything we we could think of uh, saying, we're going to do live signings Thursday, Friday, Saturday for two hours every day. And, (laughs) You know you can come tune in and but we also said the sale starts the saturday before it ends the saturday at the end so okay. those sale prices are good we encourage everybody to pre-order because i was worried about i didn't want to be sitting there with nothing to sign right right we encourage people to pre-order um and then i would sign the books and right after show i'd send them dude it was a monster success good we sold way more we had way more orders of books than we ever do in San Diego. We, I was like over 400 orders and every one of them had anywhere from, you know, five books to you know, 12 books or something. That's awesome. Order. It was, it took us three weeks to Cause, cause we, uh, we, we signed, you know, we were answering questions. Yeah. We, we had set up so that people could, you know, someone, Kathleen would read the, read the question. Oh, here's uh well, oh, here's your friend from high school. He right. says, hi.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Was, so I thought it was great. I was like, "That what a success!" Yeah. And so uh, what but, will the what will the format look like? I know some of it's pre recorded and there's Q and A, but will it be like individual sessions for cartoon cross? Yeah, I mean,
1: we're we're gonna try to make it look you know look like if you go to the website and see the schedule, it'll look a lot like our normal schedule, uh, which is. Um, Thursday is usually the Wexner Center has their they are leading it. Um, mm-hmm. We have things called teaching talks, which because we're a we're a C three, thought was
0: 501 C three.
1: Thank you. I don't know why I yeah. got lost on that. It's all right. Um, but we're we're a nonprofit. So we have certain, you know, we have to do educational things. We have to Mm -hmm. promote local artists, which is fine. We love doing that. That's part of our original mission anyway. So, yeah, we, so, and then um, on Friday, uh, you know, it'll, it'll say, okay, so the keynote will be Gene Yang uh, and it'll be at 430. So then you tune in and um, if you go to the website and click on it, we're going to broadcast it then. So it'll essentially be streamed at that moment as if it was live. Uh, right. I don't know that we're doing the Q and A with Gene, but uh, it, but generally, like that night is Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba being interviewed or in conversation with uh, Matt Fraction. Okay, I can't wait to see that. Uh, that's going to be a great panel, and that'll be like at seven thirty. And that one, that one, I know for sure that will we'll you'll go on the website, you'll stream it. Uh, they're probably going to record that in the next two weeks.
0: Okay, uh, you know, it's hard to.
1: When one guy's in Brazil, two guys are in Brazil, and the other guy's in LA. Yeah, We're talking about at least a four-hour time difference. Uh, so they're going to record this the thing, but then afterwards, that on Friday night at whatever uh, eight nine o'clock or whatever, Fabio Moon, Gabriel Bond, Matt Fraction will then be on on like this on a Zoom with yeah. Jersey because Jerseys are a little genius. Uh, but if we need help are you available <laughs>
0: i'm a, i'm i'm around if you need me to poke oh, some technology yeah
1: here, but anyway yeah. That's, so that's the basic idea so we thought that would help us with uh,
0: yeah and stuff. is it all it's all free it's all free that's awesome free. that's great well jeff thank you i've taken plenty of your time and i appreciate it and i hope that we can uh, do this again uh before 3 years from now i was so. going to say
1: I'll see you in 3 years brother <laughs>
0: Thanks, Jeff.
1: All right. See you, man.
0: Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends family, contacts, enemies, your favorite cartoonist. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.